Good morning, church. Uh, I'd like to start by reading uh, from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 and starting at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Now, at about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Lord, as his blessing to the reading of his word, shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again 
for your word and for all that it contains for us. We ask now, Lord, as we consider this passage, that your Holy Spirit will open our understanding and minister directly to each one of us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, as you are aware, at the moment we're in a series on the subject of prayer. And the series is uh, loosely based on this book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, by Pete Gregg. And I would say, first of all, that I strongly recommend this book. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Sometimes a Christian book can be a little bit dry, but this book is really, really well-written, it's full of great stories. It's in a very readable style. It's got some wonderful quotes. Um, it really is a very, very good book. Um, prayer and, and how to pray. So I'm continuing in that series today. Um, and my title today is Powerful Prayer. Pause and Persevere. And... Um, I'm sorry if I look a tiny bit smug, but it's kind of preaching 101 that if you possibly can, you have just a few headings or bullet points to keep it simple. And if you can possibly throw in a bit of alliteration so that your points start with the same letter, then that's kind of like a, a double thumbs up. So I think I've knocked it out the park this morning. We've got four simple points there. And they all begin with a letter P, four P's. Powerful prayer, pause, and persevere. The first thing that I want to talk about this morning is the power of prayer. Now, I could have taken a passage from practically anywhere in the Bible and used that as a basis for a message on the power of prayer. Because the power of prayer runs in and through every page of the Bible. But this week in our men's Bible study, we've been looking at this passage in Acts chapter 10. And as I was reading the book on prayer, and as I was putting this together, it occurred to me that this passage, in many ways, encapsulates the things that I want to share this morning. You see, this passage in Acts chapter 10 is potentially one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. That's quite a statement, isn't it? That Acts chapter 10 is one of the most important passages in the Bible. It's certainly one of the most important passages as far as the development of the gospel of Christianity is concerned. Because Acts chapter 10 basically describes how it came to be that the early Christians who were Jews and who believed that Christianity fitted inside Judaism and the respect of the customs and Mosaic law, this chapter explains how it came to be that they realized that the gospel of Christ was not confined to Jews, it was for everybody worldwide. And so it had an enormous impact. The rumblings of what happened in this, you can read throughout the rest of the Bible. It comes up in a lot of Paul's letters. 
And really, you could say that as a direct result of what happened in Acts chapter 10, we are here this morning. Because you see, this was a story about two men. This was a story about Cornelius, who was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was a Roman. He was a centurion. He was a military officer. He had responsibility. He had power. He had authority. And he is living in Caesarea. Peter is, to all intents and purposes, an itinerant fisherman. He's obviously one of the apostles. He's one of the early church fathers. But if you read in Acts up to this point, Stephen has recently been taken and stoned to death and everybody's been scattered. Peter is moving around. In the previous chapter, he was in Joppa. He's moving around. He's traveling. He's an itinerant preacher and teacher. Wherever he goes, he's healing, he's teaching. These two men were very, very separate. But Peter was the leader of the Christian movement at that time. Cornelius was a powerful military officer in the Roman Empire. It's a critically important passage. And I think that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, I think he was aware of this because when I was reading Acts chapter 10, it almost reads a little bit like a movie script. Because the scene, if you like, opens with Cornelius in his house. He's a devout man. His house is devout. He's praying. He's searching. It says he's praying every day. He's praying regularly. He probably doesn't really know what he's praying for. But he's praying in his house. And this is how it, the story opens. We see Cornelius. We see him praying. We see suddenly that an angel comes to him and said, God has heard your prayers. Now you need to send Two men to Joppa, to the house of Simon the Tanner, ask for a man called Simon Peter and bring him back to your house and he will explain to you what you need to do to have a proper relationship with God. That's how it opens up in verse 1. And so he calls his men and they leave. And then Luke changes the scene. He changes the scene in verse 9. And it says, at about noon the following day, when they were on their journey and approaching the house, we now switch to Peter. And Peter, it says, goes up on the roof to pray. And Peter sees this vision of all of this, of this sheet coming down with all kinds of birds and animals. And he's hungry and in the vision, the voice tells him to kill and eat something. But Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And three times in the vision, God says, do not call unclean something I have made clean. And then as he's, as he's trying to understand the vision, Luke switches us back in the screenplay to outside the house and now we have the men from who Cornelius has sent they're outside and they're at the gate and they're asking is there somebody called Simon Peter here and then the spirit says to Peter it's okay go with them Peter goes and he travels back to Cornelius's house and all of Cornelius's house was saved now it's important for us to understand that something seismic happened here because Peter was a Jew, 
And so Peter would not have been allowed, according to his religion, to go into the house of a Gentile, a non-Jew. So the thought of Peter and two or three of his companions traveling with these men and going into the house of a Gentile to talk to them, it would not have happened had it not been for the vision that Peter had seen. And in that vision, God was basically saying, everything, all of your prejudices, all of your belief system, all of the things you've, you've thought of before, they're being swept away now because the gospel is going out to the whole world. So it, it is impossible to overstate how important the events of Acts chapter 10 are in the development of the gospel. These two men, under normal circumstances, would never have met. They moved in completely different circles. Yet they came together and the gospel blew up worldwide as a result. What links these two men? The answer is prayer. We read in chapter 10 of Acts, verse 2, Cornelius and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. He prayed. He prayed regularly. He was seeking God. He was spending time with God. And what was Peter doing? Peter went up onto the roof to pray. So that's what triggered this. Two men praying. Two men spending time with God in prayer. And because those two men did that, they came together, God intervened, God choreographed all of this, and a remarkable thing happened. That's the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Two men who would never have met, brought together, everything choreographed by God. Cornelius and his house were saved. Who knows where Cornelius was posted to next? What we do know is that wherever he and his family went, they took the gospel with them. We must not forget or underestimate the power of prayer. Second thing, the power of the pause. The power of the pause. Some of you may have heard about the polar bear who walked into a bar. And he said to the bartender, I'd like a beer... And a bag of peanuts. And a bartender said, sure, but why the long pause? And the polar bear said, well, I've always had them. The nice thing about preaching into the camera is I can tell myself that when people watch this later, they'll literally fall about laughing because that was the funniest joke they've ever heard. But a pause, a pause is a very underrated thing. A pause, I think a pause can increase concentration and focus. If I started to tell you a story, and then I paused, it may be that you lean forward a little bit, or if you weren't paying attention, you might look and say, why has he stopped talking? A pause is an important thing. A pause causes us to sharpen our focus, to look at the person, to concentrate, to examine why it is have they paused. Is it for dramatic effect? 
Is it to make sure that you're paying attention? Growing up, that was the thing with my father. If he was telling us a story, he wanted 100% attention. And if he's telling us something and he caught one of us not paying attention, he'd pause until everybody looked back and were paying attention. You know, TV producers and production people, they understand the power of a pause very well. I mean, if you go on... Um, I'm trying to think what the... Um, Dancing with the Stars is the version of it over here. Dancing with the Stars. Not that I'm a huge fan. But, you know, Dancing with the Stars or Bake Off or one of these... America's Got Talent, one of these things. You know, they like when they announce who is going to leave that week. They'll say, and the people who are leaving this week are... And I'll let the pause stretch out because it focuses everybody's attention. Everybody leans forward to listen. It builds the drama. It, it sharpens the senses. Now, this book, which I've recommended, has a section in it called Slowing and Centering. Slowing and Centering. And it's talking about that in conjunction with a powerful prayer life. He quotes, the author does, from Blaise Pascal, who said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. It talks about the fact that we need to take time out from our day-to-day -day life to just stop to pause, to center ourselves. Why do you think it is that when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, and he taught them the Lord's Prayer, which we all know so well. But the Lord's Prayer doesn't begin with the words, give me today my daily bread, or forgive me my debts. The Lord's Prayer begins with the words, our Father. Because to say those words, our Father, you're effectively pausing. You might have a big long list of things you want to ask for, but you're pausing before you get to that. And you're recognizing we have this remarkable relationship between us and God where he wants us to treat him as our Father. And after we've said the words, our Father, he then instructed us to say, Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed or holy is your name. Again, another pause. We're still not rushing into our wish list. We are acknowledging that God is holy. And we're acknowledging the, um, the remarkable privilege we have of being able to approach him through prayer. You see, a pause, an opportunity to slow down, to center ourselves when we pray, is vital to the power that we can develop through prayer. Because this world is so busy in this digital age with our smartphones and everything else. Everything is 100 miles an hour. Some years ago, I went to the Le Mans 24-hour race in France. And at the Le Mans 24-hour race, they have a a straight on the track called the Molzan Strait, where cars can reach over 200 miles an hour. 
And when you go to the 24-hour race, because you can only see one section of the track at a time, most people have an earpiece and they're listening to Le Mans radio. And Le Mans radio are giving you updates on what's happening elsewhere. I was there one year and I was listening to the earpiece and the commentator excitedly said that there was a driver going down the Mulsanne Strait at 200 miles an hour, but his engine was on fire and great sheets of flame were coming up the back of his car. But he was okay because he was going that way at 200 miles an hour and the wind was blowing the flames this way. The problem was that was only sustainable as long as he could keep doing 200 miles an hour. At some point, when he stops, he's got to deal with that flame. And in a way, that's like the world we live in. We're all rushing about. We've all got things pressing in on us. We've all sometimes come into God with this big sheet of flame shooting out behind us. And we're busy, busy, busy. We're rushed, rushed, rushed. We're panicked. We're concerned. We're anxious about what it is we need to pray about. We're in the thick of the world. Well, that driver at Le Mans eventually radioed his pit crew, said, look, I'm coming in, I'm coming in hot. Literally, I'm coming in hot. Have the fire extinguishers ready. He came and he stopped. They hit the car with the fire extinguisher. He was fine. We've got to put that fire up. We've got to calm down. We've got to slow ourselves. We've got to center ourselves. Peter did this in, in, in Acts chapter 9. Peter was a busy man. You read the previous chapters, busy, traveling, preaching, teaching. It's noon, he's hungry. What does he do? Goes up on the roof. Why does he go up on the roof? Because he wanted some solitude. He wanted some quiet. He needed to get away from the people around him. He needed to go up there and spend time alone with God to take a breath, to pause, to center himself. As you know, I'm a big soccer fan. You see a soccer player take a penalty, a penalty kick in a big match with all the pressure of the crowd and the global TV audience watching him. He'll put the ball down on the spot and then often he'll stop. You'll see him take a breath to center himself, to pause. If we have a prayer life where we don't take time out before we pray to pause, to center ourselves. We won't have an effective and powerful prayer life. Previous chapter, Acts chapter 9, verse 40. Peter was asked to go to a house where a lady called Tabitha had died. And he goes in and it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. He went in the room, the woman was there, she was dead. He didn't immediately address her. He obviously turned away and he spent time here first in prayer. He needed a center himself. I don't have time to read it now, but Jesus did the same. John chapter 11, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. People were there, crowds of people. They told them to roll away the stone. But before he called Lazarus forth, he stopped and he prayed and he spoke to his father. He stopped, he centered himself. That's why the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. It's why when Moses said to the Israelites, when they were trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, stand still and see the glory of God. The power of the pause. 
Lastly, and very briefly, because my time has gone, the power of perseverance. Peter went up on the roof to pray. We're not told that he went up to pray because there was something that was concerning him. The impression we're given is that this was something he wanted to do because it was something he needed to do. He was hungry. Lunch was about to be prepared. He thought, I've got time. I'm going to get away, go on the roof, I'm going to pray. It was custom and practice for Peter to pray. Read the Gospels. Jesus often got up early in the morning and went up into a mountain to pray. Cornelius, it says, Cornelius, it says in chapter 10 of Acts, prayed regularly. In the King James, it says he prayed always. Cornelius didn't really know what he was praying for, but he prayed day after day after day after day. He persevered in his prayers. And what he didn't know at the time was whether God was listening or hearing his prayers. But when the angel comes, the angel says to him, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. Every one of them, he's heard them. And now he's going to do a wonderful thing for you. The power of perseverance. Jesus spoke of this absolutely, directly and unmistakably in Luke 18, verses 1 to 4. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's the purpose of the parable, that they should always pray and not give up. He said there was a judge in a certain town who neither feared God or cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Perseverance worked. It's why Jacob wrestled with God. We need to persevere. We need to pray and keep praying and keep praying. Persevere in our prayer. Perseverance is... It's not easy. We had a very funny illustration of perseverance, my wife and I, when our youngest daughter, she was about three, and it was that lovely time when the other kids were older, so in the morning they could get up and wander downstairs and put the television on, and we could get a little bit longer asleep. But one morning, she's three, and she appears right in my wife Stephanie's face, and she goes, Mom, Mommy, drink. She wanted a drink. And Stephanie said, oh, okay, darling, look, just give mommy a minute and I'll come and get you a drink. She went away. Came back two minutes later, right there again, mommy, drink, I want a drink. Again, okay, darling, give just mommy a little bit more, two minutes sleep and I'll come and get you a drink. She went away. Then we hear all kinds of panting and puffing, grunting, something banging on the floor. And she's only three but she's struggling up the stairs, pulling a two-litre bottle of Coca-Cola. And she drags this bottle of Coca-Cola up, staggers to the side of the bed, shoves it in Stephanie's face, said, Mommy, I want a drink. So we got up, and she got her drink. She wasn't going to give up. She was going to keep coming back. And that's what we need to do in prayer. If, if, if We like to pray. We'll pray, and we want the prayer to be answered, of course, and we want the prayer to be answered instantly but sometimes it takes time 
And God wants us. He doesn't want us to just pray once, tick the box, and leave it. He wants us to come back and pray again, and pray again, and pray again. What are the conclusions from this morning? Number one, prayer is powerful. Whatever your situation is, whatever challenges you face or whatever anxieties you have, prayer is powerful and prayer can change things as we saw in Acts chapter 10. Secondly, if we want to have an effective prayer life, let's make sure every day we take time to pause, to get somewhere quiet, to pause and center ourselves. Sometimes just to sit quietly and let God minister to us. Take time out from the busy world and just sit quietly. And lastly, if you're praying for something and you're not seeing the answer, keep praying. Because the Bible says we need to persevere in prayer. If we can do that, if we can find time to pause, but if we can persevere in our prayer, there is no limit to the things that we can accomplish. Through Jesus, who's loved us and saved us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the power of prayer. We're sorry, Lord, that sometimes we don't exercise that power of prayer properly. Help us, Lord, to realize the importance and the power of prayer, to make it an important discipline and custom and habit in our lives. Help us, Lord, to take time every day to pause to be quiet, to center ourselves before you. And help us, Lord, to hang on in there, to pray and pray and pray and keep praying. In your precious name, amen.